0: Welcome to Technology Transfer IP. Technology Transfer is the process by which valuable research, skills, knowledge, and technology developed by educational institutions is transferred to industry for development into products and services that will benefit society. From basic patent licensing to promoting startups, entrepreneurship, and industry collaborations while also investing in and managing technology developments. We bring you conversations with the leaders in technology transfer, who will share their stories, including their successes, challenges, and expectations for the future. Here's your host, Lisa Mueller. Hello and
1: welcome. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Silvio Bonaccio, the head of technology transfer at ETH Zurich. Silvio joined ETH in April 2001 and became its head in January 2005. Prior to his time at ETH, Silvio was with Nestec as part of the Nestec Productivity Team, NPT, an internal consulting group of Nestle. While in this role, Silvio participated in and led improvement projects in the company's operational units in Europe and the Americas. Silvio received an EMBA in general management from the International Institute for Management Development, IMD, and a PhD in chemistry from ETH Zurich. And with that impressive background, welcome to the podcast, Silvio.
2: Well, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here.
1: Well, thanks so much again, Silvio, for taking part in the podcast. I'm really excited to have you here. Uh, generally, I'd like to start the podcast off by asking my guests about their journey to tech transfer Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up in Zurich and at ETH?
2: Yeah, ending up in tech transfer was actually Purely by uh, coincidence, and um, I'm an ATH child, Um, so I I studied chemistry in my past life. I did a PhD at ATH, but then left the scientific community to join industry, um, a Nestle food company you might be familiar with, uh, and was traveling the world. So I was working abroad for quite uh, a few years. And then I had to come back to Switzerland for family or family business reasons, and and by that by that chance I was called up by a former colleague uh, with whom I studied, and he was telling me about, you know, he's just leaving ATH. He has been there for a couple of uh, years uh, doing something like technology transfer. I didn't have a clue what that is, and they were looking for somebody replacing him, and he invited me to come over. And then you know, we basically just happened. I I came. In, in 2001. And, uh, in a time, you know, there was the downturn from the dot com bubble and, uh, and ATL was basically looking for somebody who is kind of taking the lead in, 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 um, building up tech transfer, uh, at, uh, at the institution. And, you know, I, I was there. I saw the thing and I thought, well, let's, you know, it's very interesting. Let's do it maybe for a couple of years. And in the end, it became 20 years.
1: Wow, that's an incredible journey. And for those of our listeners who may not be familiar, Silvio, with ETH, can you tell us a little bit more about it? Uh,
2: yes, certainly. So ETH stands, uh, you know, a little bit clumsy German for Eidgenössische Technische Hochschule, which, which translates uh, into Swiss Institute of Technology. And uh, is basically a medium-sized um, uh, university, a technical university in comparison to other, you know, my European and US uh, uh, universities. Uh, we have about twenty-three thousand something students, about uh, five hundred twenty something uh, faculty. So that's um, full-time equivalent. We have a very generous budget of about uh, one point nine billion Swiss francs, which translates in about uh, somewhat over two billion uh, US dollars per year, and. Uh, Organizational-wise, we have, you know, classically 16 departments with all types of um, sciences: natural sciences, um, engineering sciences, um, civil engineering, a little bit of social sciences and management sciences, um, and then lots of uh, so-called um, uh, centers of competencies, which are cross-functional with uh, professors from various areas uh, that do research in in, in certain new fields. <laughs> The most recent one is maybe the Artificial Intelligence Center, uh, which embraces about uh, 100 professorial chairs uh, that contribute to this area.
1: So I know you. there's a lot going on in terms of tech transfer there at ETH. So one of the things I wanted to start off asking you about is your technology park called Innovation Park. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, this is uh, actually a, a longer story. It goes back probably about 10 years when the, the Swiss population actually decided that uh, we need to kind of foster innovation in a kind of more structural way. And there was the plan to, uh, to um, set up one uh, innovation park in Switzerland, and uh, that should be close to Zurich. Uh, but, however, you know we are very decentralised, so uh, all the other states uh, or cantons, as we call them, they came up and said we want uh, an innovation park too. So, in 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 the end, you know, by in the law that were written down, I think about five or six nowadays. Um, the the uh, one that is planned for close to Zurich. Is uh, planned on a former airfield, so military base, um, uh, a lot of land, and uh, is not used anymore for you know for the military purposes, and uh, we have started there to build up um, a kind of an environment where you combine academic research uh, with the with companies that uh, would like to collaborate with, uh, with the academics. Um, of course, it is a political issue um, and it costs a lot of money. Uh, so we, we are still you know, in the initial start building up infrastructure, but the hope is that maybe in the next three to five years, we really build up a, 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 a small city within the city, um, you know, uh, concentrated on, on uh, innovation.
1: Very neat. And and you also have something called the Innovation and Entrepreneurship Lab um, and also the Pioneer Fellowship Program, which I was hoping you could tell us a little bit more about each of those.
2: Oh, absolutely. yeah. So that's more the, uh, an internal program. And it has to do uh, with the problem that every uh, fundament, fundamental research institution is facing. You know, the In such a a fundamental research institution, the technology that come out of this, you know, research is always of very early nature and uh, maybe not really um, ready for being picked up by industry. So the idea there was uh, why not building a platform where young people that have done their masters or phd uh, work and came up with a, a cool technology have um, uh, built up a interesting business idea on that and and support them by you know developing the technology a little bit further so taking them out of the area of the fundamental research and and putting them on the more development area and help them sharpen the business case um, with coaching, but also you know financially uh, and with infrastructure, with the purpose that after some time they can really start their company, and we call that Pioneer Fellowship. It basically uh, means that people um, you know, with masters or PhD degrees can apply twice a year for a grant, which is 150,000 uh, dollars, if you like, and um, they, if if granted, they get uh, 18 months time. Um, in the innovation entrepreneurship labs, which are small incubators. We have actually two of them more, one more directed for life science um, um, related uh, projects and uh, another one for more engineering related projects. And then we have a um, a, a, a pool of people, um, usually serial entrepreneurs that help the young guys to basically exactly do that, you know, develop their business Still under the under the roof of ATH and as employees, but they are fully responsible for the budget of the 150,000, with the aim that after 18 months that uh, that they will have built up their company.
1: Wow, those are really um, very interesting. And in terms of um, programs, another one that I found very interesting that you have as well is something called the ESA BIC Switzerland, which from what I understand, is a startup program of the European Space Agency. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about that.
2: Exactly. Yeah, The European Space Agency has started the program already uh, a couple of years ago, and we came into that prog- program actually uh, the first time five years ago. Um, I-, I think in the meantime, uh, all over Europe, there are about uh, 50-something of these uh, um, business incubator center, as they, they call them. And what it is is basically an environment or support program where ESA um, spends money to have uh, technology developed that can be applied uh, in aerospace or technology that has been you know uh, developed for aerospace can be translated into something that we can use here down uh, on Earth. And uh, so Switzerland has, or ATH, has actually Um, handed in an application five years ago and and got it granted. And uh, during these five years, um, this is not only for ATH um, technologies or or startups, but it's a a national program uh, just run by ATH. And uh, out of this program over the last five years came over 50 startups. Um, All over the program for ASA, I just looked it up uh, um, yesterday, that came out over the last 5 years about 500 startups all over Europe wow. just on
1: out of this, of that program that's a lot of startups yeah, it's pretty cool, and and the
2: program is actually also uh, very nice in the in the sense of you get of course a financial support, which is two two hundred thousand uh, euros uh, if you get the grant, but it's it's not only that you get included in the in the network uh, of ESA, which of course is is you know worldwide and, and and of course very concentrated in Europe, but essentially worldwide, and with that you get a completely different uh, business edge uh, and, and a lot of support by professionals. So that's an excellent program to advance such technologies.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things I thought was interesting about that program is there's something akin to like 80 hours of technical and business support that the companies get, which, you know, that's quite a bit of time. So I think that probably goes to, like you said, the number of startups that came out of it, given that, you know, both the financial and the technical and business support.
2: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, we actually we just signed the um, agreement for the next 5 years. We got the uh, the grant to kind of run the business incubation center again for um you know a couple of years. So we are very happy that this is uh, continuing. So we have again money for uh, up to another I I guess 50 startups for the next 5 years wow. in Switzerland. So
1: That's fantastic and Continuing on and asking you about some programs, I I wanted to ask you uh, about a program that you have that's called the YCIRC platform, if you could tell us a little bit about that program.
2: Yeah, this is, for me, one of the most fantastic programs uh, that uh, we could put up, and uh, it is based uh, on the very generous donation of, of an industrial Person, which is uh, Hansjörg Wies. Uh, some people might uh, recognize the name. He was involved in setting up Synthes, which was afterwards then bought by Johnson & Johnson uh, years ago. Uh, and uh, from his wealth, he actually made it. The generous donation of about 120 uh, million US dollars, in about eight years ago, it must be, Um, and he gave this donation to actually the ETH and the University of Zurich. Uh, University of Zurich is a uh, state university, basically our friends across the road, Um, in order to build up a translational center uh, in. Uh, a technology translational center, uh, both in medicine and robotics. Um, and uh, so we we have these two platforms for regenerative uh, medicine and, and robotics, and we can spend there um, on projects between one to five million over one to uh, five years in cash and about uh, 60% of the amount still in in terms uh, of um, of additional support in terms of machinery and uh, infrastructure and so on. So these are just fantastic um, uh, support program um, where you also see as an outcome um, startups that Are of a very different size and form, as you can imagine. So, if you start as a PhD or former PhD or former master student uh, with with your small spin-off or or startup company, you know you you first look for a couple of ten thousand or hundred thousand dollars to kind of get to the next uh, uh, level. With this VES project, you are in. very different category. So you, you basically have your full team, you have a, a very sharp business plan, you have your products uh, close um, to um, to industrial standards. And then, of course, also the, the finances that you need when you go out are in a, in a, in a different um, level, certainly Series A, if not Series B. Yeah,
1: I can see why you really get excited when you talk about that program. That's pretty amazing. So... Sylvia, I wanted to take a step back and and talk about tech transfer a little bit um generally and and I was curious maybe if you could tell us um about some of the differences between how tech transfers handled in Switzerland compared to other countries, let's say the the US and, and maybe the UK and and maybe other countries in Europe.
2: Yeah, of course, uh, the the US specifically and, and and also the UK, they have a much longer history and tradition of tech transfer. So we we were, and we're still looking up to uh, our peers there, and we have lots of um, relations. We learned a lot. Uh, we have a great exchange. Um, we, uh, of course, invite people over, um, and we, of course, are very appreciative that that, that we could uh, uh, learn so much from uh, yeah, the other tech transfer offices. Um, I. If you ask me for the differences apart from the longer history and, uh, you know, more experiences uh, that, that, uh, that our peers in the US and the UK bring forward, um, I think we are still all facing the same challenging. Challenges, um, you know, it's it's always the discussion with the researchers. Uh, it's always the discussion about the licensing terms. It's always the a, a, a discussion about um, uh, what can you what can you publish and what uh, should be uh, you know remain a, as a secret. It's uh, these these tensions between the, the the various parties. I think is uh, quite quite general, um, but there is a very very a lot of solutions out there. And uh, and uh, and again, maybe you just have to to learn, you know, from all the others, and then tailor made it to your own situation um, and institution. So um, I I see, however, uh, still a very big difference when you come to talk about startups. And uh, apart from the history, if you look at the markets, I mean, US is uh, is a much more uh, it's much bigger market uh, uh, more homogeneous if if we start in Switzerland, a very small country, and then you have to cross the borders with uh, products from our startups uh, it just becomes much more difficult so it's very heterogeneous yeah, you have different uh, legal systems uh, laws that you have to kind of uh, comply with and so on and so forth and one of the other big things um, which uh, you know is is very well known is of course the financial support. Uh, venture capital uh, has, in Europe, increased a lot over the last years. But where we are still struggling, um, especially here in Switzerland, is when it comes to bigger rounds. So, we you re- uh, really need serious amounts of money, and I'm speaking of 10 millions or tens of millions, um, there is very good statistics about that. Uh, for instance, in 2019, the Swiss venture capital report actually disclosed that um of the eight biggest rounds that uh, in, in that year, uh, there was only in one round a Swiss part involved. In all the others, seven, um, you know, it, it's basically uniquely um, uh, institutional investors, VCs, uh, maybe private investors in some cases, but all from uh, other countries, Europe and, 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 and the US uh, formally.
1: Are there being efforts to try and address that issue where there's that so-called gap in that kind of um, later bigger round funding?
2: Yeah, indeed, uh, there were uh, quite a few initiatives. Uh, Unfortunately, I I don't think they were so successful so far. There were two initiatives uh, that started also about eight years, maybe 10 years even ago, where um, two different uh, parties actually tried to raise a 500 million um, uh, fund that should invest in Swiss startups. Um, the one disappeared completely, so it didn't get uh, to the starting line. Even the other one, um, there, it was basically, in, uh, you know, I, I would say encouraged by the government. <laughs> and uh, basically, encouragement means that the, the government asked the the big Swiss banks, so Credit Suisse, UBS, um, uh, why don't you kind of engage in that? And in the end. Um, this fund really started. Um, there was a commitment of uh, both banks of, uh, I think, about 100 million. There was an insurance company, mobiliard that also committed 100 million, um, and, and they started to invest. But it, I'm, it, I'm not knowledgeable enough about what exactly you know is the point at the, at the moment where they where they continue. So the problem. S- still remains uh, when you have a bigger round and then and, and you have to raise money uh, in that order of magnitude you you have to go out and to look for a consortium outside Switzerland unfortunately
1: unfortunately yeah and I think that that Brings me back to you were talking about the Swiss government encouraging, you know, some of the banks to, to get involved in these bigger rounds of funding. And I'm curious, you know, how involved is the Swiss government in, in tech transfer and and do you have anything like what we have here in the U.S., like the, the Buy dole Act, for example?
2: Um- of course, we looked at the Bayt-Oil Be- Act, uh, so everyone that uh, got engaged uh, in the early days of tech transfer in Switzerland you know, always pointed to the U.S. and said, yeah, oh, we have this uh, Bay oil Act uh, in, in the U.S., which is very important. The, the academic system in, in Switzerland is a little bit different. So we have three types of universities. There is the Federal Institute of Technology, so the ATH, which is ATH Zurich, but also the Ecole Polytechnique Fédérale de Lausanne, so in the Western part of Switzerland, plus for research institutions institutions. And then we have the state universities um, or or the cantonal universities, as we call them. So there are 10 of those, but they are governed by the uh, state, not by the um, uh, government in Bern. And then we have the um, universities of applied sciences, which which are intercantonal or uh, interstate um, universities. And they have their regulations. And, And basically for ATH or the ATH domain um, we have a regulation or a law actually uh, that was um, done in 1991, and in that, um, in, in in this first law, it was not clear actually what what's actually happening to intellectual property. So my my ancestors at uh, at the uh, tech transfer or whatever. You know, there was as what uh, you what you would call tech transfer today. They basically said, well, um, if somebody came up with an invention, they would say to the professor, "Look, uh, you do it on your own. Uh, we don't claim anything." And that changed in '95 um, when there was a revision, and uh, it and you know there was made the statement that basically intellectual property um, uh, belongs to the you know, individual uh, institution and has to be handled there. Uh, And since then, actually, the more structured uh, technology transfer was actually possible. Before that, it was kind of, I mean, there was one person responsible for that anyways. Uh, And then it became a little bit more, not really prominent, but one became a little bit more aware um, uh, of that. But tech transfer in a more structured way came then with the revision in 2004, um, where... That laid also the basis uh, in terms of how can we engage with startups, how can we hold equity in startups and so on. And and that also kind of was the trigger for us in 2005 to establish tech transfer in a more professional way in a in a staff unit as we are today.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a good segue, um, Silvio, because I wanted to ask you about your team, your office, because you've mentioned all these programs and all that's going on. So I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about your team and how your office is structured.
2: Uh, yes, certainly. So the um, tech transfer is kind of, um, or ATR transfer, tech transfer office embraces three areas of activities. So the the uh, biggest part is uh, at the moment, at least the collaboration with industry. So there's a, what we call the contract group. Um, that's a, a team of about 10, 12 people, uh, mainly lawyers and and they engage in negotiating terms and conditions uh, when it comes to collaboration between our researchers and and in industry and then we have a uh, uh, another team which is what you would call a classical technology licensing part um, of it, so that team basically takes care of uh, all the inventions, um, takes care of uh, the management of the intellectual property, and also of the selling and licensing part of uh, those technologies. And then the third area is the support of startups, and that has two subgroups. Um, and uh, that, that is, there's is a spin-off support group, you know, that looks uh, that uh, those who made a, make a company, that they find shelter for at least sometimes at ATH, um, so the, that they get uh, also access to infrastructure and so on. And then the other subgroup is the Innovation Entrepreneurship Lab. So that's that's the whole area.
1: So how many people in total would you say you have approximately?
2: At present, it is about 31 headcount, I think we are. Yeah.
1: yeah, so fairly, that's a pretty big office. So yeah, I'm not surprised given everything that you have going on there and the number of startups and spin-outs and all these different programs.
2: Yeah, though I, I, I have to say we're always a little bit envious. I mean, we look up to MIT and Stanford and Columbia University and all those, uh, you know, very, very successful um, uh, universities. And if you look at the offices there, uh, at least that is my understanding. MIT has a loan for the technology licensing part about 40 something people. And uh, and of course, that, you know, relay, related to that with our, what is it, about eight, nine people in our licensing type of area. That is, of course, still very, very small.
1: So, Sylvia, I wanted to ask, you know, you you talked about your team and and I'm curious if you wouldn't mind sharing some of the metrics from your group and your office, you know, things like invention disclosures, patent filings, royalty revenue, licenses, spin outs, um, maybe that you and your team have had either in the last year or the last few years. Yeah,
2: I'm glad to do so. So, the... Uh, the numbers uh, i i guess they are not r- very impressive if uh, if compared to the us um, universities that has a little bit to do to do with the size um of our office but it has also a little bit to do with that we are very clearly focusing on on the things that we think are, you know that we are able also to do something with um so to give you a uh, an impression We have about 200 something invention disclosures per year. Uh, Out of them, we file um, part of them together with industry about 80 to 100 patents. And uh, we produce about 25 to 30 startups uh, at ATh. In terms of licensing income, we are not at the point where MIT, Stanford, and our other peers are. So we are in a couple of millions. Uh, I think that's a question a little bit of, the, of time um, and increasing the patent or licensing portfolio. So our licensing portfolio is probably around three, 400 active licenses and the patent portfolio uh, accordingly um, uh, somewhat higher. And the hope is, of course, that we can increase uh, those numbers. Uh, I think there's a lot of potential still at our institution.
1: Yeah, based on everything that you've described so far, it, it sounds like there's tremendous potential. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if those numbers really start to to increase. So Silvio, I wanted to switch gears a little bit and, and ask for your view on what you think is most important in managing innovations to give them the greatest opportunity for success.
2: Yeah, that is a very tough question. I think everyone is struggling, but you know, the whole world is trying to do innovations. And uh, yep. if I look at our tech transfer activities, um, I guess uh, many of my colleagues would agree to that. It, it is a people's business, um, so you you know you have to have very good people uh, that have a lot of passion uh, to do this uh, this work. And I think the success of tech transfer has a lot to do with network. The more you know people, the more ties you have to industry, uh, the more uh, programs that you have to support uh, startups and and people that outside of your university uh, can help you in in, in that endeavor, the more successful you are. At at least that's the experience that we made so far. So I guess people and network is is probably the most critical point.
1: Now, I wanted to go back to talk about um, Corporate or external partners, you mentioned them briefly when talking about your office. I was wondering if you could give us some examples of some relationships that ETH has with external partners.
2: Yes, so, there, there are some very prominent ones. I mean, there's there's lots of, of collaborations that we do. So we, we sign about thousand, uh, 1,200 1, uh, new contracts every year. Um, out of those uh, are really like bigger collaborations about 600 if you like but uh, of course there is also some kind of strategic collaborations that we uh, entertain with uh, with the industry and uh, let me maybe point out two of them one is uh, with IBM where we have a shared infrastructure a little bit outside of uh, Zurich and uh, it came about that uh, both uh, of us, IBM as well as ETH uh, had need of a uh, new clean room, and uh, we have still grounds where we could build up something like uh, like that. But there's, uh, of course, the law and, uh, and the people around which uh, don't like to, you know, when you when you do too much construction. And there, uh, and IBM had the same need. Uh, so IBM has for many, many, many years uh, a research center in Switzerland, a very prominent one. And uh, and we we have very good collaboration and, and and ties with IBM in the past. And by chance, by at the lunchtime, my form, former boss or former former boss, the vice president uh, at that time, and the uh, and the director of the IBM Research Center in, in Rüschlikon, as it's called, um, you know, they they talked about that, and then suddenly came to the conclusion: Well, I don't why don't we buy? It? Why why don't we build it together? And that's uh, that's what happened. So uh, there was a shared facility built up. Both parties then um, put in um, substantial amount of money for uh, infrastructure and ATR uh, signed a ten years rent agreement so that we have uh, access and, and and can build up research teams there. And uh, after the, after the ten years, we just renewed that because that was so successful and really a place of true uh, open innovation. Um, a very a very good example another one is a very prominent one is the disney disney research center i think it's uh, still the uh, only one here in europe that disney uh, entertains and just to give you an, uh, an impression we just had the 10th uh, anniversary also with this collaboration it's just a fantastic environment where crazy people from both sides from the disney side as well as from it come together and do even you know, crazier things together. I would
1: imagine that must be a very creative bunch, I would think, just given Dis- Disney in general and how they like to push the envelope on on things.
2: Absolutely. And and and, and if I look at the numbers, I mean, you have a general uh, framework agreement. And under this framework agreement, we did more than 400 uh, um, uh, collaboration uh, over the last uh, 10, 11 years now.
1: That's pretty impressive. And so I also want to ask, do you have any uh, relationships with philanthropic organizations? I know with some of the guests I've had on my my podcast and outside the U.S., there isn't as much of a role with philanthropic organizations like there is in the U.S. So I'm curious what what that's like in in Switzerland. And I I think you've mentioned you've touched on that a little bit, but I'm wondering if there are others.
2: Yeah, I, I I touched on hans Hansjörg Wies' uh, contributions uh, to to build up this uh, translational uh, center. Uh, that that was, I guess, the the, the biggest uh, donation that we got from from uh, such a site. Um I'm actually the wrong person to ask that, but uh, the the we have an organization which is uh, the ATH a- a- Zurich Foundation that does the fundraising for ATH a- Zurich, and through that channel we get a lot of contributions. So they the contributions that come together from those. This side, I think they raise about fifty to a hundred million per year, and uh, and many of them are, of course, of the generous donations from foundations. Um, we are on the other side in direct contact with uh, a couple of foundations. There are some prominent ones, Stiftung, uh, Bodnar Stiftung, if you like to, uh, you know, I'm not sure whether anyone knows the name outside of, uh, or in, in the in the U.S. or outside of Switzerland anyways, but but those are very important uh, contributions uh, for, you know, certain topics that we would kind of get uh, engaged with. So Gebertruf is very active in, in supporting entrepreneurship and they did a lot of good and, uh, you know, at the forefront of, of supporting startups uh, and uh, entrepreneurship here in Switzerland.
1: So switching gears, Silvio, I wanted to ask you if you had an opportunity to reflect on some of your past licensed transactions under partnerships, what might you have done differently if you knew then what you know now?
2: Uh, yeah, that's also a, um, a, a good question. In, in hindsight, uh, sometimes I come to the conclusion that the could have been a little bit faster. Um, It has a lot to do with are uh, learning uh, what the other party really wants and what uh, what the triggers are on the other side. And uh, I think what what we learned is if you, I mean, you you have these tactics in the, ne- in the negotiation part. I mean, that's part of the fun uh, of the work that we do. But um, but uh, to to speed up the process it's just helpful that uh, both parties are playing op- with open cards and say, look, this is what we want. These are our our, our limitations. I think we could uh, speed up the the process. Um, quite a bit, so that's that's something that we are looking at um, also from our side to be much more transparent. You know, what are the licensing terms? What are the ranges? Uh, why are we asking for this and not for that? What is important to us to make the other part uh, parties uh, understand what we what we are looking for or what our expectations are? I, I guess this is one aspect. There's many others, of course. You learn with with each with each of the uh, deals that you do.
1: So Silvio this is always the fun part of the podcast for my guest because I I always ask them about some of their biggest success stories for their office in terms of successful technologies or startups or spin-outs please share with us some of some of your success stories
2: okay now it now comes the selling part right yeah
1: well this is a fun part because I, I know my guests always enjoy yeah. this part of the podcast
2: yeah I, I there's, there's a lots of really very nice projects that that we have done it depends a little bit how you how you judge on on success whether it's financial or, or impact or whatever but let me let me give you a few examples where i i think it's it's really fascinating uh, to see what actually comes out and the diversity you know what what things that you maybe wouldn't even have expected but one of the of the first really big successes that we had that also put us on the map of the VCs outside of Switzerland was um, Glycote Biotechnology, a company that made, um, if you like, glycosylated uh, uh, antibodies uh, that can be used, you know, in medical treatments. And actually, they they got the, I think, in 2013 or 14, um, the, the the green light in the U.S. to kind of um, you know um, uh, bring that uh, drug to the to the to the market. And that was actually in 2000. Um, in 2000 2001 when the company was created you know there's a long story behind that but in 2004 they were bought by uh, Roche after a bidding process and that was actually the first time when we had shares in a company and, and you know in in so we I, I told you before in 2004 there was a change in the uh, in in the law and, and by that chance we just actually uh, switched uh, switch gears there and and uh, had shares for the first time that we, you know, immediately could sell. Sorry, I I I made a mistake. It's not 2004. It was 2005 when the company was bought by Roche, and for 234 million dollars uh, for US is a very small number. For for Europe was the biggest biotech deal at that time. So that was a very nice uh, success. And then a few other things happened, usually with the startups. Um, there's a company, Censirion, that uh, went public uh, um, a few years ago. Uh, Centurion produces sensors that you will find in uh, every other car nowadays worldwide. Uh, we have a uh, a company listed at the stock exchange um, uh, that is called U-Blocks that produces uh, uh, GPS chips, um, which is for us, uh, for IoT and uh, all these applications, um, uh, fantastic. Uh, there's a few things lined up that come up. Uh, my favorite is uh, OptoTune, a company that does tunable lenses. These are lenses that... Uh, you know, very thin and small lenses. That you actually they are now in the in cell phones. So that's, uh since I think last year, and uh, and you can do um, close pictures. You can go to one two inches, uh, but you also have zoom um, with the same lens. So you need only one lens and can do whole spectrum. And it's. Um, Things like like uh, um, meat replacement planted that is uh, poultry meat uh, that uh, has just made um, a lot of attention here in Europe uh, in the last two years. Climbworks um, that produces ma- machines that take out CO two out of the, uh, out the out of the air, which is one of the as they say uh, unique technology that it really can can help kind of reduce um, CO two and and the the newest thing, which I think will make the news, it made it already in the, in, in Switzerland, um, but will make the news also um, in, in Europe and hopefully beyond that is Scion, which is uh, a new highly secure internet. Um, actually, it has, it has been now published. Um, so the, the Swiss government and the national, uh, Swiss national bank has implemented that. The ATH domain has implemented that uh, system now. And uh, we are trying now to establish that as a brand. And a standard uh, to be um, hopefully implemented uh, also in other places. You see, I mean, I'm, I'm talking a lot, but I, I think it is just fantastic to, to see every every university has its uh, you know lots of uh, successes, uh, smaller or, or, or bigger it doesn't really matter. But I I think it's always very nice to see the diversity that comes out of such institutions. It's just amazing.
1: Yeah, it really is. I think that's one of the things I really enjoy hearing during these podcasts is that diversity of successes that come out. So, um, Silvio, though, with great success also comes some challenges. So I'm curious, what would you say your office's two biggest challenges are?
2: Oh, yeah, there's a lot of challenges, actually. <laughs> uh, I guess one of the things that we are struggling, and, and not only us, but uh, a lot of uh, of the people, is um, the ever-increasing uh, complexity. And uh, by that, I mean um, content-wise, so technology becomes more complex. It's not only the variety, but it's also that um, different technology come together. So you have a, a merge of technology. There's always, or even... More and more software involved, so you don't have only like a patented te- uh, technology that you can kind of, you know, grab. But there's a lot of software ongoing, um, uh, especially when you go to open source uh, software. That's kind of a very dynamic, dynamic animal <laughs> to uh, to con- to control that, and uh, and also to get some of the value that is uh, created at the, at the university. Um, uh, when it is applied in uh, you know um, in the um, in the industry so um, but also the the legal complexity has increased tremendously um both uh, the, the local laws, but also if you talk about the exporting technology. So, um, export control, deemed export is a very hot topic. Uh, I think the US, uh, you know, on, on the one side, China on the other side, it's kind of, it has become very difficult to kind of uh, get a grasp of that. So, that's complexity in all its aspects is, is certainly a challenge. The other one that I see is uh, volume and speed. So, there's just tremendous technologies coming out from all sides, uh, combinations of technologies. Uh, so the, the volume uh, that comes uh, to our tables, but also the speed, the um, uh, ever increasing and better technologies uh, and, and more complex technology that come up along the way. That is something that this is kind of difficult or becomes more difficult to manage.
1: So, Silvio, I wanted to switch gears a little bit and ask you about diversity, equity and inclusion, because this is a topic that's being discussed in tech transfer offices all around the world. So I'm curious, does ETH have any programs to help encourage and assist women and other traditionally underrepresented inventors and entrepreneurs?
2: Uh, yeah we do have programs Well, first of all let me say that my my office um we are about 50-50 so women and men so and there were times where we actually had uh, more women than than men in the past um but i, I think that it, that is also the, the the fun part of it i think these uh, mixed teams are just much much uh, better than than if you have only one or the other side um in in terms of programs um we had a, an, an interesting year last year. Um, there were 25 uh, spin-offs spinning out of ATH, and six of them were uh, founded by female founders. And that is a very high number uh, compared to the past. So that's 25%. It's still low if you compare over the history and uh, in 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 absolute terms but for us at least it it shows that uh, you know women are more encouraged and more daring actually to also do this this step and we do every now and then of course in the covid phase it was a little bit more difficult but um, you know when we have um, um, certain activities and initiatives um, that is we always try to kind of do something also only for women interestingly we sometimes get feedback why you do that on a separate path just invite us to the same uh, happenings and uh, events and not uh, a kind of you know Put us up and then say, look, uh, we we need to kind of help you and so on. I think it's it's a question of time. It just needs time and time and time that people are aware. Yes, I can do it, uh, and and there is possibilities. I get support, and you know all the problems that come uh, along, we will solve that in some way. So it's it's more the encouraging part that uh, that we need to support. And uh, and again, there's uh, there's a couple of things that we do in terms of technology transfer, but in more general terms, there's of course. Um, also a unit uh, at, at ETH that, that looks for those types of activities, not only in tech transfer, but in, in general at ETH. Our board puts a lot of emphasis for female professors um, and, uh, and and of course also for students. As a technical university, if you look at our um, yearly report, I think in 2020 we had about, in, on a on student basis, about 34% uh, female students. So we are still not Fifty-fifty, uh, but I think we, we're trying. We're trying to kind of encourage everyone to come and, and study technical sciences.
1: So switching gears again, I wanted to ask you: What organizations are you and your colleagues involved in, it, and what value do you think they add?
2: Let me start with the values. I think that's. Tremendously uh, important, and and again, in the past, of course, we looked at uh, the autumn organization. That was basically the prime things uh, that uh, you know, the all the the things that were already done, and they. it goes back probably about fifty or more years. And uh, interestingly, we we are we are just changing offices, and and by that I had to kind of uh, go through our library and, and see what we you know what 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 do we want to keep and what do we kind of uh, you know have to get rid because it's getting old, and and we had uh, the folders of <laughs> of the autumn in uh, that that came out from autumn. So the there were four folders four volumes that were teaching tech transfer.
1: Oh, wow. So I kept
2: them, actually, because see <laughs> they, they have some kind of historic
1: They may have some, definitely <laughs> have some historic value, definitely.
2: So I, I, I was kind of, you know, going through the pages there, and and, and that's why I initially, uh, a little bit earlier, said that, uh, you know, the the challenges are, at, at least some of the challenges are still the same as, as uh, 20 years ago or 30 years ago. But again, very important. So we, or many of uh, our, uh, people are uh, members of Autumn. There is an equivalent, not so big, but an equivalent um, organization in Europe, which is called ASTP, the so Association for Science and Technology Professionals. We are certainly members there. And then, of course, the uh, LES uh, is an important organization. Uh, and there is a, a Swiss hub for uh, LES. And um, not anymore, but we had... Uh, People in the board of LES Switzerland uh, for some times. Of course, we are very much connected to them. Um, we have. Founded an, an organization on, on a national basis, uh, which is called SWIT, standing for Swiss Technology Transfer Association, which ties also in, into ASDP. So uh, we, we started that in 2003 and uh, with uh, five people. So we were like five founders, and nowadays, we have, I think about 130, 140. So we also try to integrate now a little bit industry. So we have um, a few representatives there. And uh, it's still a very family type of thing. Uh, when we come together every year, but it, it's, it's so helpful uh, to exchange best practices here on the ground and also have to tie into the big organization like uh, ASTP or Autumn.
1: So I also want to ask you, Silvia, about your view on credentialing, things like registered technology transfer professional or certified licensing professional. Do you have a view on the credentialing and whether or not you think it makes a difference in tech transfer?
2: Yeah, there is like two sides. Um, on the one side, I, I think it is nice to kind of give appreciation of the great job that uh, tech transfer people do, and and therefore, if you have a title that you can put in your CV, you know, uh, when you when you're thinking about your uh, professional career, that is certainly very helpful. Um, I have to say that in my team, I think there's only one or two that actually. I uh, went through the process and and, and got such a, a, a credential. Um, I, I think where we're still struggling is what is a technology transfer manager? You know what what is the profile? Uh, because there's so many aspects. And of the, if I look at the people and that that are in my team, some of them are very. Uh, related to more the legal education, so lawyers and so on. Uh, the others are more like uh, people that have studied uh, natural sciences, have done a PhD and then went into industry. I think that's a very important part. You need to understand industry to be um, successful in tech transfer and then did an MBA on top of that and or an IP uh, degree and, and then came back to uh, the, the university. So I, I think one of the problems or the the, the the challenges that I struggle with is what is a tech transfer manager what does you know what what is the profile that you need to go through or, or, or acquire to get this degree but other than that I, I think why
1: not yeah absolutely so Silvio I generally like to close the podcast by asking my guests if you could have any three wishes granted or a vision realized for your office what would that be?
2: Uh, so many wishes. <laughs> Sorry, you only get uh, but, three. <laughs> uh, <no. laughs> thank, thank you for offering. But but let me put it a, a little bit in a different way. Uh, there is um, wishes for for uh, not only for my office, but uh, uh, for different Parties that add to tech transfer, and uh, let me start again with the founders. I, I, I wish for our founders or the founders at, uh, at any universities just to keep on or, or be even more bold and daring, and, and really, you know, just try it out. It's the best thing that you can do, especially in your early days of your career. Just, just go ahead and, and, and do that. So I wish the courage for all all these people, and I'm very thankful for those who try. I I would wish for the investors outside of Switzerland <laughs> to come to our place look at uh, the fantastic technologies and and uh, start investing and I wish for Switzerland that uh, that we come to a point where we also can write bigger tickets and and last but not least uh, I for my office but uh, but in general for the universities and 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 those who support um technology transfer in their institutions uh, despite the speed, complexity, uh, the focus on more business and financial returns and so on, um, please, please, uh, I know it, it needs to be managed, everything, but beyond the management, please keep up the passion. Uh, keep up the passion. Uh, let's, let's not lose the drive why we're doing that, um, why we're trying to get technology out of the university areas uh, into the world to make the world hopefully hopefully a uh, somewhat better place.
1: That's a really great motivating wish. And, and I think keeping up the passion is, is really needed, especially in this day and age. So thank you. Those were three really great wishes. Well, Silvio, I can't thank you enough for all your insights and time today. This has been an absolute pleasure. If any of our listeners want to reach out and ask you any questions, where can they reach you?
2: Yes, please uh, do touch base. Uh, of course, you will uh, find us on our ETH website. Um, you can uh, also email me directly at uh, silvio.bonaccio@sl.ethc.ch. at um, And uh, yeah, please contact me. I'm more than happy to talk, exchange, you know, whatever.
1: Well, thank you so much again, Silvio. It's been really great to have this opportunity to talk to you.
2: Thank you very much, uh, Lisa. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Technology Transfer IP. Please visit us online for more resources at techtransferipforum.com. New to Tech Transfer or a seasoned pro? Autumn is the global member organization for tech transfer and is here to help you get connected, get smart and get ahead. Whether you work in academia, research, government, business development, corporate engagement or startups, Autumn is dedicated to supporting you through education, advocacy, networking and promotion. Join and you'll receive 20 free live webinars as well as meaningful discounts on meetings and courses insider access to a vast network of colleagues to help you through challenges, and align on new technologies and the university decision-makers who license them. Membership is open for 2023. Join us.